0: Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 5. And it says, Whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 7 when you are praying do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way. Our father in heaven hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and do not bring us to the time of trial but rescue us from the evil one. And this is the word of the Lord. You know, prayer is in its simplest form, just conversation with God. And that's a wonderful thing. Um, I often tell people that, you know, when I first became a Christian, first dedicated my life to the Lord, I was taught to pray the, the form using the Acts form adoration and confession and thanksgiving and supplication and that was the way that you were supposed to pray and in some ways that still forms the way that I pray but there are often times when a prayer is simply a lord have mercy or as a choir did this morning let us I pray through god to god through a song that is on my heart um, for some particular reason so even though we're looking at the Lord's prayer and instructions that the Lord gave us on prayer, um, I wouldn't want you to go away thinking that it's just now this formula that you have to follow. And if you don't follow the formula, your prayer doesn't get answered. Because it's not about that. I think if there were one thing that I would say that I would want to always remember and I would want you to always remember when we come away from this passage is that God is concerned about the motivation of your heart. The things that are on your heart. And always remember that as you pray. And I think about that as I look at as uh, Jesus is talking about prayer. And before he even talks about how to do it, um, the specifics of it, he tells you some of the things that need to be in place at first. And, and, you know, I spend a lot of my life as a teacher. So any good teacher, before they tell you to do something, they need to tell you how to do it. And so I believe that's what Jesus is doing in these first few verses uh, of this section of chapter 6. And so the first thing he says is, When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. And if you understand that, the word that we get for hypocrite is a word that referred to actors, people who pretended, you know, actors always pretend to be someone whom They are not. And so he's saying, don't be, don't be like them. And one of the things that they loved to do was to stand in the synagogue and pray. And so I thought, well, you know, is it, is the issue with the fact that they wanted to stand so they were seen? And as I read, I came to understand that it wasn't about standing because standing and praying was a a fairly common thing to do. So it wasn't the fact that they were standing. And then when I looked at those on the street corners, you know, I grew up seeing even um, preachers preach on street corners. And so I said, well, was there a problem? Was he talking about, you know, you shouldn't be on street corners preaching and praying and things like that? And I said, no, you know, it wasn't about that because... They were, in that time, they prayed at certain times of the day, 9 a.m., 12, 3. They prayed throughout the day. And it wasn't uncommon that if you were not uh, at the synagogue at a certain time, wherever you were, you would point yourself toward the temple and pray. So it wasn't an uncommon thing to pray wherever you were. And, in fact, we are taught to pray uh, without ceasing. So it wasn't that. So the real issue must have been something different. And that issue was why they were praying. And with the whole idea of being on the street corners, what it was is that these people would sometimes uh, make sure that they ended up on a busy street corner at 12 o'clock so they could pray and be seen by people to be praying. And the scripture says that when you've prayed with this motivation, you've received your reward. So you pray primarily so people could see you, and they've seen you, and that's the end of that prayer. So the first thing that Jesus teaches us is about our motivations. And I guess that's really something we should think about with everything that we do. You know, why do we do the things that we do? What is the motivation behind it? And so as Jesus is teaching about prayer, he wants to make sure that we understand that. Our prayers are not for the purpose of being seen by people. You know, you become a Christian, you want people to to think that you're holy and you're good. And, And so I'm sure they had that same idea that if I stand here and they see me praying, then they'll really think that I'm a really good Christian. But that's not the life that God would have us live. The scripture goes on to say that, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Some commentators will say, well, you know, you don't take that literally. It's not, you know, that you go into your room. And we were laughing at uh, prayer uh, at choir rehearsal last week. Bruce was sharing that. He took that literally one time and went into his closet and, and spent time in prayer. It was a powerful time for him. Um, Whatever the case may be, I think what the scripture is getting at is, again, it's that whole motivation of not praying to be seen. It's not a pronouncement against praying in public. Obviously, we pray in public all the time. Um, But it is, again, why are you praying? And if you're praying in public, there also should be a private prayer life as well. There should be a time where you get apart from everybody and everything else, all the distractions and it's just you and God. And I love what one commentator said. He said that regardless of whether you're praying in public or in private, the motivation of your heart should be the same. So you shouldn't have a a public prayer life and a private prayer life. I may not share with you all the things that I share in private in prayer but the person that I am praying before you in public should be the same person that I present to God in my private prayer life. So one of the things that Jesus talks about first is our motivation. What is behind the reason that we're praying? And the second thing he says is when you're praying, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard because of their many words. And one of the references for this passage is um, the situation between Elijah and the prophets of Baal in uh, 1 Kings chapter 18. And so they've had this big um, confrontation and Elijah's suggestion is that they both be given a bull and they both build an altar. And he says, the God that uh, answers by fire, let him, he will be God. And so he lets the prophets of Baal go first and call upon Baal. And they build the altar and call upon Baal. And they call him all morning, they call him all afternoon into the evening. And all the while they are calling upon Baal, Elijah is talking to them and said, well, maybe maybe he's asleep and he can't hear you. And maybe he's gone away on a journey and that's why he's not answering you. And they are just really trying the best that they can to get him to answer them. And they even get into the point of beginning to mutilate themselves, cut themselves, and to the point they're all covered in blood trying to get him to respond. And Jesus says, no, that's not what it's about. You know, we sometimes think that um, we have to use—I remember, you know, growing up and you hear uh, older people pray— and and you hear them use certain phrases that became rote, you know, in the way they prayed. And so then when you began to pray, you said, maybe I should start using some of those phrases too. You know, and it's not about the phrases that you use, or there are some people who can pray for long periods of of, of, of the time. I think it was Daniel who wished to pray for hours at a time. And, you know, it's not about how long you pray, or the words that you use to pray, the flowery words. or um, God does not hear you because you pray 50 words as opposed to 25 words. And God does not hear you because you pray big words as opposed to little words. He's not impressed by your vocabulary. He's impressed by your heart. And the Bible says that God knows what you need before you ask him. So your prayer is not manipulating God, trying to get him to hear you, trying to get him to answer you, because he already knows what you need. By the same token, though, we hear in verse 7 that we are to be persistent in asking and knocking and seeking God and asking him to answer our prayers. And I remember the widow who goes before the judge and he says that I'm not going to answer her because I don't believe in God, but because she wearies me by By coming, I'm going to grant her request. So it's not that we are not to to ask God more than once for something. But again, it goes back to the motivation, the manipulation that should not be a part of our prayers. We need to know that when we come before God, he desires to answer our prayers in accordance with his will. And he hears us. So before Jesus even gets into talking to us about how to pray... Uh, or about what to do in prayer, he talks about how to pray and what our posture should be in prayer. And then in verse 9, he turns to some elements that should be in our prayers. And again, I I want to stress that this is not um, something that I'm trying to say you have to use this every time you pray. But I think for me, What this did for me is reminded me of things that sometimes maybe not are um, at the forefront of my prayers, and they should be, Uh, things that I just really need to meditate on about my, my own heart, where my heart is when I'm praying. Why am I praying? So the first thing is, he says, our Father. And I love that. In Aramaic, that would have been the word that we're familiar with called Abba. And what that represents is it represents this childlike and also adult-like intimate relationship with one's father. And as he begins this prayer, he draws us into that relationship with God. It's not just his father. It is now our father. And what is it like to come before your father? your father who loves you and come before him in prayer. That should be a very comfortable relationship. I understand that there are those who may struggle with relationships with their earthly fathers. So what a privilege it is to know that you have another father, a heavenly father that you can come before in prayer. And then there's these next three phrases I wanna look at together. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and your will be done. And hallowed means holy. Lord, may your name be kept holy. And a lot of scholars say that a lot of this prayer is eschatological, which means it's looking toward the future, um, God's eventual reign here. But I think there's also a very present aspect to this prayer. For one, I look at it and I see the first thing that Jesus is talking about in prayer, this whole first section centers on God. I see it as an umbrella for our prayers. And it made me think what is the thing that is the biggest motivation when I come to prayer? Am I praying that God's name would be revered as holy among the people of the earth? Am I praying? for his kingdom to come and his will to be done. and Is that really the first thing on my mind when I come to him in prayer? And I have to be honest and say that I was convicted. It's not that I don't ever pray for those things or think about those things, uh, because I do. But often it's not the first thing. The first thing that Is on my mind when I come to prayer is what's concerning me personally. But Jesus puts God's agenda at the head of this prayer. God's reign, God's rule, God's purposes. And you say, well, why is that important? As I said a minute ago, because I believe that it forms an umbrella or should form an umbrella for all the other things that we pray about. If I remember that the needs that I have, the concerns that I have, the, the needs of my friends, whatever the case may be, falls under the umbrella of God's operation in this world. That gives me an entirely different perspective it helps me to make sense out of everything that i go through in this world why i live the way i live why i make the decisions that i make is because i'm committed to seeing that god's will and purpose is carried out and i'm committed to praying about that so i was i was convicted I need to be more careful about making sure that the first thing that I do when I come to God is respect who he is and pray about those things that concern his activity in this world. Give us this day our daily bread. If I'm honest, that's probably where I start rather than being the second thing on the list. And I guess that's just our human nature, that part of us that's selfish. And I don't mean to speak light of the fact that there are very real needs very real needs for sustenance, very real needs for financial things, for relationships to be healed and mended. It's not that those things aren't important. But where do I begin when I come to God in prayer? Sometimes I feel like I come to God like I'm coming to a store and I'm redeeming all of these issues and situations that I'm dealing with, giving them to him without even respecting who he is. Some scholars say that this means, um, this passage means, give me what I need for tomorrow. Others say that it means, give me what I need for it today. Don't you love that scholars can't agree? <laughs> um, but for me, I focus on, give me what I need for today. Because the other thing is, I don't know about you, but when I pray, most of the time I'm not just praying for about today. I'm looking at next week, three months from now, six months from now, a year from now, five years from now, when I retire, and asking, how in the world are you going to handle that, Lord? How are you going to provide for me in that way? And so there's something to be gained, I think, from just living with God today. One of the things that came to my mind was that old song that says, uh, one day at a time. And how seldom do we live Really, and pray really, for one day at a time. Even the next chapter of Matthew, he talks about the fact that we're not supposed to be anxious about tomorrow, but to trust God to provide for us today. So one of the things that Jesus talks about in his prayer is to pray that God will provide for you today. And I think the wonderful thing about that is if I trust God for today, it's like every day my faith is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Because I've seen God provide for me each day one by one. If I'm focused on what's going on six months from now, I'm not really focused on where I am today and what God is doing in my life today. So I was reminded to pray for God to give me this day, what I need for this day. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. I have to tell you, I I, I think that forgiveness is probably one of the things we struggle with more so than anything else. When we're wounded and hurt and betrayed, it's difficult to let go of that. And this scripture says, forgive us as. And I would challenge you, we say forgive us as all the time. I would challenge you to think, forgive us like we forgive others. That's a scary thing. But God links our forgiveness with him, with how we forgive other people. Must be important to him, huh? And I I have to be honest and say I've, I've learned over the years to be more quick to ask for forgiveness. And that's something I had to learn. Sometimes you want to brush it off and say, you know, they'll be okay. We'll just kind of pretend like it didn't happen. But it's important when needful to ask for forgiveness and also to give forgiveness. And sometimes you don't even realize that you're still holding on to something that someone has done. It's, it's, it's so pervasive. And so I had to think this week you know, who is it I'm still holding captive to my anger, to my broken heart? Who is it I need to let go? Because when I come to God, I want him to forgive me fully. I need him to forgive me fully. But by the same token, I need to forgive others. It reminds me of the passage of the the man who had the great debt that he had been forgiven. And he immediately went out and held another man accountable for the debt that he owed him. It was a small debt. We don't somehow see our need for forgiveness on the same plane as we see our need to give forgiveness. So I would challenge you when you pray the words of this prayer the next time. Think about like. Forgive me like I forgive others. I bet it'll challenge you to be a little more forgiving of the people in your life. And lastly, do not bring us into the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. There are people who Use the word test, trial, temptation, to reflect this passage of scripture. I think for me the thing was, so the idea, one of the ideas is that you pray that God won't um, allow you to be tempted in a way that you won't pass the test. Often I find myself praying for forgiveness when I've never prayed for God to keep me from the temptation or the test. How different would my life be if I spent more time praying, God, keep me in the hour of trial? That's the word that a lot of Christians use and they say that God is a keeper. He will keep you. Have I prayed that God would keep me? Or do I just take for granted that I can ask for forgiveness later? Keep me. It reminds me of a verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, and it says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. How many of you need to pray for a way of escape today? How many of you know there's a test and a trial coming? Maybe you're in it right now. And maybe you need to pray for a way of escape. This prayer is—it's heavy, it's is deep. It—it it touches a lot of different places. I don't know about you, but I see a lot of things in my prayer life that I need to address. I'm thankful that God allows me to come before Him in prayer. speak from my heart, confess my sins to him, but am I always mindful of who it is I come before? Am I always understanding that I am part of a much bigger picture? Do I come before God with a heart that is full of forgiveness for those around me? Am I trusting God for my needs for today? So as we go to God in prayer, I want you to take a moment, just a few seconds, bow your heads. And as you reflect on this model that Jesus has given us, think about your own life. Who do you need to forgive? Pray that God would reveal those people, that person to you. What do you need to trust God for today? Can you walk with God today? Can you make that your commitment? Or maybe you need to ask God to give you the ability to see all of the things that are overwhelming you in light of his kingdom, his purposes And his holiness. Take a moment.